0: Welcome to BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Shanafee, USPTA professional and international businessman, this is the podcast that researches and looks at the club management and facility side of our business. Hello, and welcome to the the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Shanafee. I'm your host. And we have today with us a very special guest, Emma Doyle, one of the world's leading female tennis coaches joins us. But Emma is so much more than just a tennis coach. She's a coach for life, a coach for always working with Judy Murray and other stalwarts of the tennis world. Emma is a Ted talker and is looking at empowering women, not just in our industry and professional sport, but across the board. We'll discuss how the pandemic is affecting coaching, and how Emma is envisioning a virtual world in the coming year, and how we need to always, as coaches especially, be looking outside the box. We'll discuss why our industry is male-dominated and why female coaches are just that tough to find. I'd like to remind our listeners that our website, beyondthebaselines.com, has more and more information as we push through what we hope is the downward curve of the virus. Information for you, your club, and your management team to help you through these uncertain times but without further ado let's get on with our podcast which is part of the series women in our sport here's emma welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast i'm ed shanofi your host and today we have a wonderful superstar with us emma doyle she's an australian former pro former teacher and now a ted talk host and an inspiring woman in our industry, and I'd like to welcome her to our podcast. Hello, Emma.
1: Hi, hi, thanks, Ed, so much for having me.
0: I wanted to start out talking to you about something that you came up with. I'm reading a book by the former editor of the New York Times Magazine uh, titled Late to the Ball, in which he takes up the game of tennis he loves in earnest in his early 60s. And he deals with finding his inner coach or his inner self through tennis. This is something you talk about all the time. Is there a fast track to finding it? And if so, can you give us any secrets?
1: <laughs> well, it'd be wonderful if there, if we could fast track a lot of things in life. <laughs> um, and I'm certainly fascinated, I guess, by that through my work in neurolinguistic programming. It's all about accelerated learning, but uh, let's just go back a step and begin with, you know, um, I'm sure a lot of people listening would have read the inner game of tennis and uh actually the books as old as i am that that probably (laughs) gives it away a little bit but um that was one of the first books that i ever read and one of the things that first impacted me about this inner voice so it's certainly not a new concept but it does definitely define my coaching philosophy which is of course that our our, one of our number one roles as a coach is to make ourselves redundant if that makes sense so if we can give our student the tools and the and the ability for them to be able to coach themselves, um, I find that absolutely fascinating as it relates to the game of tennis, where obviously you are alone and you know your character's exposed, um, and yep. you've got to be able to obviously problem solve yourself. And so, the more that we can strengthen our own inner voice as coaches and as players. And, and be able to have that, you know, that inner voice be one of empowerment and one that's at your biggest cheerleader, because let's be honest, who else is going to be, uh, then I think that, you know, that that sort of sets the scene for my philosophy. Now, in terms of fast tracking, the best tip I guess I could share, uh, and this is I work a lot with a lot of clients in um, becoming self-aware, so it begins with self-awareness. So, mm-hmm. you know, just even a, a podcast reflection question for the listeners is, is your inner voice serving you? you know, is it your cheerleader or is it, you know, once you become self-aware of what, what it's actually saying through perhaps some journaling um, or other techniques uh, like that, you can start to listen to it. And when you listen to it and have self-awareness, then you can strengthen it. And so my second tip around fast-tracking would be, um, to really start to reframe that inner voice from a futuristic perspective, which, uh, yeah, which certainly I talk about as well on, the, on my TEDx talk, Unleashing Female Potential. So, you know, for example, a, just a future-based a scenario, a really basic one um, in our sport of tennis just would be if you're in a match and, you know, your inner voice is like, oh, you know, why do you keep missing that first serve in the net? That, that's past based Whereas if your inner voice could be, what have I got to do to, you know, to raise um, the height over the net? You know, maybe it's a key word like up or lift or push or something along those lines. Is going to strengthen that that inner coach and that inner voice. You know, that lives within all of us, and we can all all discover it. So it's certainly um, a topic that I'm passionate about, and I'm working very hard this year on on um, completing my book in this topic. So, uh, so a good way to kick it off. I love it. We've gone straight into yep. some practical stra- oh. strategies, Ed.
0: Yeah, always. I, I don't dilly-dally around. I, I try to find the inner self as fast as I can on a court, but I'm not always uh, successful. Um, you brought up the game of inner tennis. I think it was Timothy Galway that wrote that. And it, it's, a, it's, it, it's, a ball, it's a book that is on my shelf, uh, both at the tennis shop and at home. Um, and I actually teach something from it a lot. He talks about the rhythm of the bounce hit. And when I have a beginner... Who, who, who's just focusing so much on trying to make contact, I I yell, I tell them to say, bounce hit, just like Timothy Galway did. And uh, five out of 10 times more than that, more than 50%, the, the beginner improves just in those two minutes that they're doing that. And I think that inner inner self feeling when you're focusing on a bounce, it it, 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 it opens up your mind to not making the mistake, as you say, thinking positively. Do you find that too?
1: Oh, 100%. That's one of my favourite all-time exercises. And um, interestingly, um, the, the, that, that book uh, was actually um, used to inspire um, Sir John Whitmore, who's one of the godfathers of life coaching. And he used the concepts within that book um, to sort of create the blueprint of sort of this concept of unlocking the learning that that lives within right. our students, rather than you know certainly chapter one of my life. You know, I was a lot more of a directive coach, and yep. you know, feeding the beginner with lots of um, instruction. Which I, I had positive intentions, of course. You know, trying to give them as much knowledge as I could, uh, but quite often just by having them focus on you know the sound or a cue word or. And as a, as a NELPA or a neuro-linguistic programming sort of coach, really tapping into the sub-modalities of the athlete, what they relate to, what, you know, whether they, the kinesthetic, visual, auditory or data digital is really important. And another way to sort of what we call fast track, um, not only the learning, but, you know, that inner coach. And uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, I was fascinated to, to think that business coaching, life coaching and tennis coaching, um, when, I, when I realized that and really got stuck into that that world, really unlocked a lot of things in, in me as a coach.
0: Okay. I, you know, it, it's interesting too. Pete Carroll, who's the head coach of the Seahawks, he, he's a big advocate of the, of the book. And of course, he, he, he coaches football. So inner self is, is so important in, in, in amateur and pro sports. And let me ask you a question. Self one, self two is so important in, in, in Galway's book. Self two for you is 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 you. How did you decide to do what you do? Um, when did that happen? And did you ever have a female mentor?
1: Um, yeah, a great couple of questions there. Yep, you know, um, I, I, I keep you busy. Yeah, and they they do sort of all um, definitely interrelate because you know for me self two is the subconscious and the subconscious drives so much of our behavior. Um, it's more powerful than than we realise, and so um, in terms of how did I decide what to do, um, mm-hmm. I think that you know I look at my sort of coaching career, or you know, in chapters, and I think there's been constantly um, sort of turning points within those chapters and turning points come again, when we become consciously aware of, of our subconscious patterns. I hope that's not too deep, (laughs) but, um, but it certainly is one of the reasons, you know, the tipping point when I move, you know, when I move from one to the other. So I guess if I could just share a couple of chapters, it, um, it certainly would be, you know, I started coaching at age 14. Um, and I walked off the, the court, that day thinking this is, this is a job that I want to do. This is amazing. So I sort of, you know, I had a very early epiphany with, with coaching, um, and a kept real connection with it. Uh, and then, you know, the next sort of chapter, once that, um, once I started coaching, we we're very young was having a, 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 it wasn't a female mentor, but it was a equally inspiring, um, Australian rules football coach who, you know, sort of asked me if I wanted to become the best coach that I could. And I said, absolutely. What have I got to do? And he said, have you maximised your playing potential? And I was like, absolutely not. And then the next thing you know, a girl from Melbourne, Australia is on a plane to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I didn't know what had hit me culturally, but um, a fantastic experience sort of to push and experience, you know, division one college tennis and all the highs and lows and learning how to compete that that brings before going back into sort of the coaching world. Um, then I sort of ran ran my own businesses um, for years, uh, then got out of tennis sort of altogether after coaching on the tour for um, during that time as well. And, uh, and mm-hmm. then that, learning everything I could about personal development, personal growth, sort of catapulted me back into coaching because I was like, wow, I need to get into coach education now, you know, because I I felt like I'd added so many different tools to my toolkit by getting out of tennis uh, that then threw me back in um, and been speaking. Now this is my ninth year sort of speaking um, not just in tennis in sport and in corporate especially in empowering females and connecting girls with sport the girl power camps have been running four years as a chapter and um, and I you know the, the the your original question when did I decide to do what I'm doing today yeah. um, the pandemic hit and I completely changed my business model from speaking to going online uh, mm-hmm. so <laughs> to be totally transparent that's that's um, what I'm doing today was obviously forced upon me. I'd been filming tennis activities for years and years and years, but they were never good enough. It was like, oh, no, that one's not quite right, or the kids aren't doing it exactly. And and so it was just uh, 70% is good enough, and, you know, don't let the enemy of good be perfection, and take the plunge, and, and uh, that's what I'm doing today. Female role models and coaches and leaders. Um, certainly, when I was growing up, I you know I was really reflecting on that question when you sent it through a couple of days ago, and I I really didn't have uh, a lot of female role models growing up. I didn't have any female coaches. I think one coach came into our squad program for six months, and I absolutely loved it. And then she was gone. Um, I think she had a baby. So you know, that that was it. And it, so, but interestingly, over the past 10 years, I have it had extraordinary women impact me. Um, to name three, Judy Murray has had a massive impact on my career and her belief in me is has been uh, incredible. Um, Natalie Ashdown's a, a business coach in Melbourne who's helping me edit my book right now. And she's the one who, who really um, was a huge sort of tipping point in changing the direction of my career. And, uh, and Claude Silver from VaynerMedia, who's the Chief Heart Officer of, of Gary V's um, the Vayner company, and you know I'm so fortunate to have her as a as a mentor and someone who guides me, and and um, you know I really believe in a lot of her philosophy. So they're three women's you know significant people and mentors that have come into my world um, recently, and I think. Yeah, I'm surrounded by really impactful women all the time and obviously I love I love some great TEDx talks out there as well by some pretty empowering women, inspiring women.
0: That that's fantastic. It's interesting to note that as a as a junior in, in your developmental stages, you you really didn't have a female mentor and and that goes to the next question I have, which is have you heard that or do you think that t- teaching tennis is a, a male dominated industry and perhaps you growing up with all male coaches you're not fearful of that and maybe that's why you are where you are now
1: yeah um well I mean the first thing I want to say about that is you know yes it is a male-dominated industry um so you know but it has been as as you just pointed out so the first thing I I think that the biggest take-home sort of message that that I'd love to share is just thanking you in this opportunity to be on this podcast. It's about the conversation. And then it's about taking action. We need male champions of change. We need um, people like yourself, who are directors of clubs to really have uh, take a snapshot and ask themselves reflection questions like just do I have equal numbers of, of boys and girls in my 10 and under program? And then, and then what about in my teen program? And then, And then look at my representation of gender within my coaching staff and ask yourself, where are the opportunities? And I'm certainly, uh, you know, was part of a webinar just last weekend on this topic. And we were talking a lot about um, looking at volunteer parents, advanced junior female players that are coming up within your program and just thinking outside the square is, you know, in terms of where are those opportunities and how can you encourage more um, females to get involved and just be given an opportunity and uh, certainly be given an op- a chance to be mentored. Um, you know, on-the-job training is, is I think one of the, the best things that can happen and peer systems doing things with a buddy um, mm-hmm. and I think is, is really important that you don't just, you know, throw people in the deep end and you really get to know, you know, what, what it is that they're most interested in and what they value because not, you know, sometimes there's also the trap of you know, getting some volunteer females or or mums into the club and just just putting them with young kids, you know, making an assumption that, you know, that they're good with little kids, which, you know, a lot of the time they are, but just to be really mindful of taking them through that process where they feel like, you know, safe, nurtured and that they belong and then who knows where their journey could lead. And, you know, I'm sure that you... Um, when we spoke a little bit off air, you see the value in having female role models. And that's a huge part of the research that shows that, you know, as we know, when little girls and young girls can see it, then they they can be it. They can go, oh, you know, maybe I, I could be a coach.
0: I, I agree. and And I think... Sometimes we have, uh, I, I, first of all, I completely agree with uh, the 10 and under coach. And, and that's come up in a podcast that I've had on this issue before that it's almost like a tight casting, you know, at the casting uh, office is that uh, a woman comes in suddenly we we as directors think 10 and unders, and uh, that's not how we should be thinking. And we have to get beyond that. But on the second, on the second part of your answer, I think that women um, have a different angle to teaching. And because of that, sometimes I think directors might be a little uh, afraid because they don't quite understand that angle. And and B, they don't don't see the bigger picture. And and, and you've been, your background, and I'm going to put your background in the show notes so everybody knows, but you've coached all over the world. And there is a definite sense where a woman student, will learn something very different from a female instructor than she would a male instructor. And I'm sure you've seen that. And give us an example of, of how you may have seen it and, and where and when. Empathy. Empathy.
1: That, yep. And one word. Be, and I think as one thing, you know, as as coaches that we can all do better is walk in somebody else's shoes and being able to walk in this, especially the shoes of, of your female athlete or somebody even described empathy to me the other day as being able to walk alongside them. You know, it's not like you can be them; you can't be in their shoes, but what if you're walking alongside them and you could see what they see? And I think sometimes as you uh, alluded to that a female coach can sometimes just have that more um, naturally and really Mm -hmm. listen to the needs of the, uh, of the player so that then they can lead them. You know, sometimes with um, male clients and students, we know exactly what they're thinking and feeling because they'll just tell us, Uh, whereas potentially um, a female client might not, they'll be thinking a lot, but they might not necessarily come straight out and say what they're thinking. And so sometimes I see coaches just then, you know, they're they're directing behaviour, but they're, they're missing um, you know, point A, B, and C, which is maybe linking the why behind the activity, or maybe it's being able to tap into the female play- student's motivation. First of all, of why they even might want to learn that skill or that drill or that tactical objective. So that's that would be my answer there. And I think you know, I think female coaches could do a better job of this as well. So I'm not also, um, I'm not. Um, uh, casting you know sort of stereotype that, that women are, are great at that and you know I think I, I do preface it by saying we can all do a better job of, of listening mm-hmm. and being able to walk alive alongside somebody before we can lead them um, that that to that, me is, is critical.
0: That, that I think as, as you said a, co- a great coach puts themselves in their students shoes time and time again if not constantly if not continuously. Yep. And you said that uh, very well. Here's here's an issue too, in that uh, I think sometimes directors of tennis, and I mean male directors of tennis, uh, look at, like, they have to have the token female pro. And I, I, I hate to say that word token, um, and I'm not meaning it in a horrible way, but I'm saying that they say, well, if I'm going to have five pros, I better one better be female. And I, I kind of say, well, and I'm a director of tennis, I try to pack my staff with female pros because they tend to make more money than male pros. Um, They have a bigger universe. Um, Most women like to take from female uh, pros and most men enjoy the challenge of playing a female pro. And so I see their universe as almost being bigger. And I think that's something that you I'm sure have talked about, but I'm trying to educate. And have you seen that at where you've been?
1: Yeah, I I agree. And that that kind of thinking across the board needs to change. You know, it's, yes, quotas and numbers definitely help turn the dial for sure. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, remember the, you know, the reflection question um, for directors to to really look, have a great representation of both genders in their staff is really important. Uh, And uh, then from there, it's again, it comes back to the motivation, you know, of, of the pros as well as what your your clients, um, what their needs are, and finding, as I said, creative ways to make sure that it's not just a, a token female pro that they're in there, they're valued, they're supported, they're in a position that they also feel um, either comfortable or that uh, you know a place for them to grow when they're ready to sort of stretch their comfort zone into whatever next level of coaching that they to they want to pursue. And we need the directors to change the language on that and change the dial and just see. You know, I don't want to be seen as a token pro. I don't even want to get a job interview just to get the the nut that you know the quote or the numbers up for female representation. I want to get it because I deserve it, and I want. And so we can all do a better job of mentoring and upskilling all our coaches and especially um, our female um, coaches. So that we can have a better representation of male and female pros within within businesses.
0: And and to go on mm. in the same kind of uh, vein, have you seen any differences? You travel so much, you know, you have a base in Denver, you have a base in Scotland, you have obviously a base in Australia. Uh, do you see any differences uh, among the different countries uh, globally in terms of female coaches? Is there one country that's ahead or no. behind?
1: No, I think you you 20% mark is um you know unfortunately where, where it's at mm-hmm. uh now is that good enough no it's not so do we do we need um you know organizations like the, the women's tennis coaching association a lot of men say well why don't we have a men's tennis coaching association well well in my opinion we do we need those organizations the wtca in raising again the conversation and changing you know the dial that um you know even even in this recent pandemic as you can imagine we're seeing a lot of um male slash female people working from home and we're seeing a rise in female entrepreneurship we're also seeing a rise in uh the roles within the, you know within the household um maybe fathers seeing how difficult it is in their home more and having to homeschool their kids and i think this is you know, if there is a silver lining in this situation is that the way that we define roles and responsibilities, if that changes, we're going to see, we're going to see the dial change and those numbers are going to go up and we have to keep pushing, you know, towards, again, let's just focus on, I know that um, the USTA, I've seen some of their literature, you know, they're really aiming for 30%, you know, Australia's aiming for 33%. They're offering female only coaching courses. Um, yeah, community coaching courses, and you know a lot of them are, are funded um, by the government through the She Can Coach program and um, around the world. So I think you know, and, and some countries are doing you know nowhere near even twenty percent with their female coaching. So whatever your number is, just saying to yourself, All right? Well, yes, one day wouldn't it be great if we had fifty-fifty? But let's just focus on how can we push the dial to twenty-five percent? How can we push the dial to thirty percent? Um, and how can we continue to do that? Because let's be honest, you know, I'm sure you'll, you you may a- agree with, with your diverse career that coaching is one of the greatest gifts and life responsibilities that we can have. And, you know, that's certainly a lot of people ask me about successful moments in my coaching journey. And that's when, you know, I attend the wedding or the 21st birthday or watching one of my students give her father's funeral speech you know that that to me that's that's one of the greatest gifts I can have as a coach you know I I think that we can all do a better job of just helping push the dial by having these courageous conversations and and shifting the the stereo our own bite like our own subconscious bias around what stereotypes are
0: crisis is going to change um you know coaching and the family nucleus and i've seen it myself i'm home every day um you know i'm i'm actually in charge of homeschooling in this household um because my wife has the full-time job and i i do think that tournament coaching and tournaments will change you have talked about um the secret of um uh, being hyper local with your with your work with judy uh, with J- Julie Gordon and Judy uh, Murray, and I think as as people from the u t r are saying is that because we 're not going to be traveling as much or as frequently or as far, the local tournament will be attended by both mom and dad and and I think coaching is going to have to take that into effect don 't you
1: I a hundred percent agree, and I think again. You know this situation has is tennis back on the on the marketplace uh it's safe it's healthy happy sport um i think its popularity will will increase a much needed sort of boost as it's uh, you know a lot of people um you know will be looking for more of those smaller numbers the personalized service and in an ideal world anyway you know four kids on a court um four players on a court is our sport and I think opportunities to play the game, um, you know, whether it just be more organized match play or even just play time is been much needed. You know, we've certainly been overstructured in the past and, you know, coaching isn't the sport. Tennis is the sport. And I think, um, you know, I think that the research does indicate that hyper local opportunities to just be attracted to tennis is is really important and sort of mother-daughter days or father-daughter days or um, introducing them down to the club club is critical and then obviously keeping them at the club, which is a huge part of one of my online courses called um, How to Run a Girl Power Camp, um, mm-hmm. which really focuses on the onset of puberty and looking at the, you know, the whole camps are designed around the research around why, why teenage girls drop out of sport and flipping the dial on that so that, You know, we dress up competition with lots of mini matches and pressurised team-based situations that are, you know, that are fun, that are social, that are with their friends. You know, we start off-court first doing vision boards and um, their string tension of life, you know, to show that we we care beyond just hitting forehands and backhands. And uh, that's all sort of, I think, hyper-local opportunities um, that we're going to see more and more. And, uh, yeah, so I think I I couldn't agree more that I think it's, that's another one of the silver linings that can come out of this situation.
0: No, I I agree. And talking about, uh, girls and, 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 and young girls taking up the sport of tennis and then moving through puberty and becoming young adults, um, it's obviously a very important subject to you. How do you see, I've, I've been to so many conferences and, and I, I don't really, I've never made up my mind on this, but. A lot of specialists say and, and you have a lot of experience in this is they say that you can have a, a a girl or a boy before puberty who is one of the greatest players looking forward to it and even if they stay in this uh, stay in the system and stay in on the court they don't actually progress after puberty as far as you would have hoped or thought have you seen that happen and and what's your view on that
1: uh yeah it's happened many a time uh, i certainly well, I just speak about my own life for a minute. Um, you know, pre-puberty, I was I, I didn't really do that well at all with my tennis, like probably just represented my region, if that makes sense, didn't mm-hmm. do well at a state or a national level. And then post-puberty, what happened is I, I caught up in size and in strength, got in the best shape of my life and started practising because I had the time. And then all of a sudden, those girls that were... Um, spent a lot of time on court pre-puberty a lot of hours you know where they get post-puberty where they don't want to be on a tennis court so they so then you see those girls that used to smash me say in the 12s dropping out of sport and then um puberty and and, and the strength benefits and all those other things that come with with that um showed that you know that really it doesn't matter in the 12s you know what's right. the take home message there is is if we can teach our kids how to just fall in love with the sport, we've got to teach teach them how to stay in the sport Um, because when we specialise too young and we, you know, we get burnt out by the sport, I mean, and when those other influences do come into play, it's, you know, as we know, it's a sort of hyper-turbulent emotional roller coaster time and a lot of people, when they pop out the other end, um, you know, even if they do, like, have the ability to play college tennis, they hate tennis. So, you know, but they think oh, I can still get my education, but they don't, they sometimes go to college not really loving it and wanting to be there. So, yes, I've seen it time and time again. I, I share my own insight to, to, which forms a part of my philosophy, which is we do need to encourage, you know, them to play not just to specialize too early. I think that's really important. I think I still think sometimes, you know, doing tennis at five, you're better off still doing multi skills and um, coordination based sort of, you know, in that. In those in those formative years, mm-hmm. rather than getting getting a racket in your hand hitting, you know, for two hours a day and just honing honing a forehand, there's plenty of time to do that. And I don't think even the average age of number one players in the world is, is going up. It's not coming down like it used to be. It's not um, you know not seeing what we used to see with the Capriati's and the Hingis's. So right. uh, so you know I I think that that is a real issue, and especially for females. You know, the, because the dropout rate is so significant as you, as you get higher and higher, like up through the ages. And, yeah, so they're, they're my thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. How do you think the, the pros are going to come through this? Uh, obviously, you've coached at that highest level. How do you think the pros are going to take, take getting back to the court, getting back to the grind? Are they going to be uh, hot to trot, or are they going to be like, well, I like my time off. Maybe I'll think about, you know, taking another few weeks. What do you, yeah. you going to
1: happen there? Well, I think it's it's different from player to player. I, I know that just prior to this, I was working with a girl um, around 250 WTA on her mindset conditioning, and best thing that's ever happened is this situation because she just needed that extra time. And she's so young, you know, like as in 20 years of age. So, um, you know, for her, she needed that. She's needed this situation just to make sure that she's playing tennis for the right reasons and doing it because she really wants it. So to, you know, the break, time will tell. Some people, it'll it'll make them more hungry. It's given them an excellent pre-season. Maybe they were injured. It's given them extra rehab time. And for mm-hmm. others, you know, maybe they've realized that the world's a much bigger place. I think it's I think it's going to differ from player to player. But the one thing I will say that potentially at the pro level is that the virtual world might be upon us faster than we think.
0: That, yeah, I, I agree. Yep
1: we yep. may be an opportunity to buy, you know, courtside seats on Arthur Ashe rather than <laughs> sitting up in the nosebleeds. You know, we may be actually purchasing U.S. Open virtual seats. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so.
0: That's a, that's um, an interesting point. You know, you get Grandstand mm-hmm. or, or Arthur Ashe. Um, yeah. I think it's really going to affect people is the college game because we're really going to miss a whole year of college. And a lot of, I think, college students, I don't know how the NCAA is going to deal with this, but I think a lot of incoming freshmen might take a year off now that technically, I don't know if they can do that because of the NCAA rules, but think about the college age player going up a year, because I think it may, I don't know if we're going to have a seat because of that. A lot of students might not opt to go.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, just my comment on that is, um, I'm involved in, in supporting a company called, um, transition coach for athletes where we help uh, find sporting scholarships, you know, for, um, for players here in the U S. And so again, I, you know, I would have to um, speak to the owner and founder more, you know, to get the expert advice on that, Tina Samara. But the thing I would say and what I'm hearing from Tina is that things are not slowing down that. Yes. Yes. I totally understand what you just said, but there's Mm -hmm. still a need. It's not going anywhere. We're still getting, we're still getting inquiries. We're still getting people wanting to pursue, uh, you know, us college. Um, We're still getting a lot of interest from overseas. And, um, and, you know, I know that she's still having conversations with a lot of, a lot of college coaches um, about this. this. So I think, yeah, there'll there'll be some, some changes and some will opt to, to stay on or some, some won't, but Uh, it's not, at the moment, certainly, it's
0: not going anywhere. It's not slowing down. I just, I I thought of that in relation to an article I saw just today um, when I saw it in that Cambridge University in England is going to be completely online for all lectures for the whole year. Mm -hmm. And I thought of that as as I played my collegiate tennis over there too. um, I, I thought of it in an interesting way saying, well, wait a minute, is that what I want out of college? not just for in terms of tennis, but, you know, communication face-to-face with your tutor and Mm -hmm. and that social uh, learning that happens when you're, you're forced to find new friends in a new locale, which we do as tennis players when we go to a tournament every week, really. But um, I'm not sure everyone's going to sign up for that and and it it could affect the tennis, could affect every sport, to be honest. It's not just tennis that's going to be affected.
1: Yeah. I think at the end of the day, we need connection we need we need human connection
0: and yes.
1: you know that that is really important and, and obviously looking back you know my college days and you know, still my, my roommate from Canada you know we're, st- we're still in touch all these years later I mean it's the relationships and it's the the camaraderie and and that's the thing that that U.S. college sports teaches you just that feeling of team and I think you know, I think that's why it is important to bring that back into the clubs, that sense of belonging is the fourth human need. And um, it's It's. I, I hope that, you know, that that doesn't happen uh, because that the essence of college sports is that feeling. You know, maybe there's less people at the, the matches watching, but if we can still find ways of creating team and creating belonging and creating community with kindness and compassion is critical that, we all get through you know this situation um together and come out stronger the other end
0: well that's well said and i i i agree with your virtual reality um I think it was a song by Jamiroquai. <laughs> it was virtual reality, but <laughs> yeah. you look going forward, and, and I want uh, to ask you this: If, if looking forward into 2021, uh, you do so much, and as you said, you're moving more and more to the internet. But obviously, TED Talks are going to be on the internet uh, more and more. And uh, do you see coaching on a, uh, on a virtual platform in any time soon?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. So in the last nine weeks, I mean, I've, I've taken lessons on, on an app called tennis in demand. I've done video analysis on another app called pro Guitar. Uh
0: mm-hmm. So
1: they're two that I've been using. Um, and obviously with mindset conditioning, uh, I've been doing that for the last couple of years as all online um, with my players, cause they're all over the world. So, uh, and, and so, so am I, but our schedules, you know, it doesn't matter. So for me, it's not been a huge shift there because I'm sort of used to delivering that. Um, However, you know, you cannot beat, obviously, the human um, connection and the the being there in person. Of course, I'm not saying that you're going to replace that, but I think that as coaches, one thing, I think, again, the the pandemic um, hopefully will inspire them to be more creative and to, to think outside the square and to look at, the more you know, holistic approach. I mean, I think that's probably um, one, of, one of my strengths, I think, is that the fact that I've coached, you know, everything from a two-year-old through to, you know, the, the Junior Fed Cup Australian team in 2018 uh, is the fact, it's, it's a bit like a Whole Foods manager. You know, you, if you can work on the floor and then you can work it behind the counter and you can stock the shelves and you appreciate all assets of the game, I think that's the approach that players need to take and coaches holistically um, with regards to the development of their players and, you know, outsourcing maybe in areas that, you know, if you don't feel like you're a strength and conditioning expert, then outsource that and you could outsource that online to support your players. Um, So I just think that we need to, you know, continually not just be stuck in our old ways because things aren't going to go back to normal as we know them. Um, And so I think... The, the creative side and the thinking just left of center and rising above your current situation. You know, it's okay to be down for half a day, but then rise above it and think where are the opportunities and what, you know, I think virtual coaching is definitely an opportunity.
0: Where do you want to be? What's your goal and objective in five years? Where, what, what do we want to know about Emma Doyle going forward from this and, and where do you want to be when you look back in five years?
1: Mm. Well, interestingly, again, just um, to highlight adaptability. If you ask me that before this, before <laughs> this all hit, it would definitely be um, to crack the speaking code in America. Uh, you know, obviously, I moved here with, you know, the land of opportunity and and uh, the the great country of, of providing um, opportunities to speak on a on a scale uh, and impacting and empowering females and, and connecting girls with sports. So to do that as a speaker would have been where I want to be in five years, nine weeks ago. Now, <laughs> showing adaptability in the in the business model, um, you know, that, that underlying philosophy and that principle still remains in terms of empowering females and connecting girls with sport. Now, what that now looks like um, with regards to speaking, because I think conferences will be one of the last things to return to normal, and speaking mm-hmm. engagements, if if they even get back to that normality. So therefore, uh, for me, this situation when I when I rise above my own um, current scenario is to continue to to live within the global triangle, you know, within Melbourne, Glasgow, and Denver, and mm-hmm. to continue to impact and inspire uh, female. Um, coaches, uh, players, and uh, and all coaches, not not just female coaches, um, through my online uh, website, which is www.acecoach.com.au. So continue to, to upload content onto that. So all my sort of tennis philosophies are now in the one place, which feels amazing. And um, continue to connect girls with sport all, all around the world. And um, that's where I will continue to move and have my sort of rudder pointed in that direction, and uh, watch it unfold both virtually and in person.
0: So, um, so, self one and self one and self two will be uh, keeping you aligned.
1: Busy. Aligned. <laughs> it's well, what we all want, isn't it? alignment of that inner
0: coach. So. Well, Emma, it's been great having you on, and thank you for so much for your time uh, today. And um, I'll have everything that you do on the show notes so people can go refer to that, look at your site, uh, put your email out there and your contact details so that if someone wants to get in touch with one of the best coaches and uh, females out there in our industry, they'll they'll be easily easily done for you. So uh, thank you again for your time.
1: Uh, Thanks, Ed, and I appreciate you uh, raising the bar and bringing awareness um, in this series that you're doing on just highlighting females within the industry. So thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Have a great day out there and stay healthy. You too.
1: Bye, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm your host, Ed Shanahi, and it's a pleasure bringing you every week news and views and great guests from our tennis and fitness industry. You can always reach me at BeyondTheBaselines at gmail.com or by phone at the office on 508. Five three eight one two eight eight. Please do visit our website, beyondthebaselines.com. And on our site, there's a link to our Patreon page, which has even more information for you and your club and your facility in our wonderful industry. Thanks for listening. See you again soon.